We will have a Bible reading now, which is going to be in Hebrews, starting at chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness in the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And your Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, Left we, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received as a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. A gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you now, adjuring you to incline our hearts and our ears and our lives towards you. Lord, that we would see something of our own weakness and our peril in this word this morning, Lord that we would see something of your majesty and your great salvation. And Lord, that you would incline our hearts such that we would desire you. Lord, that we would leave here continuing to desire you, to proclaim your name, to proclaim your majesty, and to declare to the nations your beautiful gospel. So I pray this. For us all, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Chapel Street. 
Morning Chapel Street online and those that will listen later on the podcast and to our visitors. It's great to have you here and thank you for encouraging us just by being here. We hope that we and the Lord, more importantly, will encourage you. Well, we're back in the great book of Hebrews. This is the third message. And I think you will know that we are going to run ahead today. Uh, we've been going dead slow for the first two sessions. Um, I think we've covered three verses in two messages. Well, today we're going to shift into top gear and run ahead a little. We don't want to miss anything, but we do want to dive in to what is actually the first warning in Hebrews. Now, you will remember, I don't want to test you, but I'm going to say it every time we come to this word. There are three great themes in the book of Hebrews. One is the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the idea and the reality that Jesus Christ is better than all the types and the figures in the Old Testament. The second thing is that Jesus wants, through this book, to encourage us to persevere, to endure, to run the race that is set before us. The Christian life is not easy. If it's easy, then I'd say, question the life and so being encouraged to endure and to persevere is essential and the third thing i've said to you that this great book has are warnings and as i've said we're all going to consider the first warning are you ready for a warning <laughs> warnings are hard aren't they they're warnings they're meant to be hard and today we will consider those now having learned that Jesus is the one who is speaking now, the one who is the sun, the one who is the air, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint, the complete expression of who God is on earth, the one who has died for the sins of the world. We have an odd bit of scripture comes up about angels. We have to be careful when we hear about angels in the Bible for lots of reasons. I won't go into them. Uh, speak to me later if you want to know more about that. But we're going to skip through this part about angels fairly quickly. I just want us to notice a few things because it provides the context of what comes next in the context of this warning. So it's important, and we could spend hours, weeks, in fact, months looking at all of these. So just if you have your Bibles, please keep them open because I'd like you to read along in your minds to what I'm going to be I'm talking about so from hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 we see some really important things about what's different about jesus compared to the angels verse 5 for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son today i have begotten you it doesn't say there that God made Jesus. He begets Jesus. It's this idea that he comes as of God, from God, as God, begotten, not made, not created. The very same substance that is God himself. That's not an angel. Verse 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Simply the idea that angels are meant to worship who? God. And so they're worshipping Jesus Christ. So what is it saying? 
worshipping God. Verse 8, but of the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. Did you hear what that said? The Bible's saying there that God is saying to Jesus Christ, your throne, O God. The Bible's saying that God the Father is saying to the Son, you're God, not an angel. There's a picture here of the creation, the eternality of Jesus. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They'll all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. And which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? Until I make your enemies a footstool for you. Sit at my right hand. The angels don't sit at the right hand of God. Only Jesus Christ does. Because the angels are simply, or not simply, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And Hebrews here is just simply saying this. Jesus, he's not an angel. He's superior to angels because he's God. I want you to notice one other thing about this passage. It's all Old Testament quotes, isn't it? It's not just the writer of Hebrews writing, borne along by the Spirit, the Word of God. It's actually the Old Testament Word of God that's been written already by the time of this writer. All Old Testament, the prophetic witness of the Old Testament about who Jesus is. Not an angel, superior to the angels. It's all about getting Jesus Christ in context for what's to come. And to be honest with you, it's about getting Jesus Christ right so that we can worship him correctly. And it's not about the next four verses, it's about the rest of Hebrews. That's the context that he's giving us for this great book. And in the middle of that context, we have the first warning. Are you ready for it? Say yes. Okay, well, if you're ready, I'll carry on then. Let's read it together again. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, so that we get it in our heads. We'll go through it again and again. Therefore, let's just pause for a second. Remember the context, right? Jesus is God. He's superior to the angels. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, I'm hoping that the warning stands out to you in neon lights but just in case it doesn't i want to just dive in directly to the warning i should tell you we're not going to look at this text 
one verse at a time from top to bottom. We're going to dive into it and then go into it a bit more deeply, and then we're going to jump back to the beginning. Okay, and it should make sense because there's a, a logical argument here. So please bear with me as we do that. But the warning is right there in verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's the warning. How are you going to escape if you neglect such a great salvation? I just want us to think of two things here. One is the word neglect. Neglect such a great salvation. For them, back then in the first century, and for us today, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I want us to think very carefully about what that word neglect really means. What happens if you neglect a warning sign? What are you doing? Imagine, for example, driving down the road and you see a sign. It says, I don't know, cattle crossing or danger, big ditch in the road. There's a sign that's there to give a warning to you to be careful. And if you neglect it, if you are negligent towards it, what will happen? What will happen if you neglect this great salvation? What will happen if you neglect the warning signs of a heart attack? It's serious business. That's what a warning is for. It is there to cause us to think. There's an important link here between neglecting and escaping. The writer says, how are you going to escape if you neglect, right? if, you, if you miss the sign? I want you to understand that neglecting the sign is not hearing it and not seeing it. If you don't see the sign, you've got nothing to neglect, have you? There's, there's no sign, there's no warning, so I've got nothing to neglect. But when you do see the sign, when you are given the sign, when you are given the warning, you can choose to accept it and heed it or to neglect it. And so there's a link there between neglecting and not escaping. And the thing that we are neglecting is the great message of salvation. It's what it says. The great message of salvation. So we need to heed the message of salvation. I want to say to you that you might come to church and have been coming to church for many years. Some of you are young, so maybe that's only a few years, but some of you are quite a bit older. And I know you've been in churches for most, if not all of your life. So that means you've been coming to church for 50, 60, 70, where is he? 80 plus lives, uh, years but it's still possible to neglect that message of salvation. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, does it? It's just a place you come because you are a Christian and you're connected to Christ. So don't neglect. Hear the warning. It's a good warning to hear. heed. Make sure you understand the link. So there's the warning. 
Now, before we can work out how we don't neglect that warning, the book here, the letter here has given us some other texts, again, about angels and about the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to kind of delve into and understand. And I'll not spend too much time on this, but it's important that we do uh, understand this message well. So now we're going to go back, having gone to verse 3, we're going to go back to verse 2 and run to the end of this section. And then we'll go back to verse 1 at the end. So have a look again with me. Verse 2, I'll read it all. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That was, or it was, declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's just a basic message in this part. The angels brought a message. Did you see that? They declared it. And it was reliable. And Jesus brought another message that was reliable. We'll come to that. And remember, Jesus is superior, isn't he? We just learned about that. He's superior to the angels. And so if the angels' message was reliable and Jesus is more superior to the angels, we should be heeding his message as well, right? Would you agree? So what are the messages? <laughs> well, I found this surprising, and I'm not sure whether you will, but I want you to know that the message that the angels bring is actually the law. It's the law. It might not be apparent at first, but that's what they bring. And I know perhaps what you're thinking, maybe what I thought, but Moses brings the law, doesn't he? Moses brings the law. And in a sense, he does. He's given the law. But who brings it to Moses? And the Bible says very clearly, it's the angels that bring it. It's not even God. God sends it. The angels take it and bring it. In another part of Scripture, I think you can put Acts 7 here. Stephen is, is testifying to the gospel. He's creating the right argument against the religious uh, rulers of the day, and he's eventually stoned for it. He says the angels brought the law, and you're stiff-necked in accordance with it. And I think in Galatians 3, Paul talks about how the angels installed it. It's <laughs> a great word. Declared, delivered, installed. And he says they installed it via a mediator. <laughs> That's Moses. That's his job. He's the mediator of that law. So they're declaring, bringing, installing the message of the law. And what is the message of the law? Well, it's quite clear from the text. Just retribution for disobedience. That's the law, isn't it? The law condemns. The law proves that God is holy because mankind cannot live by the law and it brings just retribution. And because of that, it's reliable. The message that the angels brought is reliable because it brings just retribution. It works, to put it simply. 
the law is real it works sin requires to be paid for and we are all judged against the law right the law, the law is the thing that condemns us and god judges us against the law sam you've been found wanting because the law says this and you've done that so it's a reliable message but jesus is superior to the angels and his message in one sense is superior it's the it's the icing on the cake that's a terrible uh, metaphor but you get the point let's read it again how shall we escape verse three if we neglect such a great salvation the great salvation message it was declared same deal at first by the lord the lord jesus came god came in human form jesus christ and he declared the great message of salvation and then he says and it was attested to us by those who heard you know who that is that's the apostles while god also also bore witness that jesus christ is superior well how did he do that he gave signs and he gave wonders and people followed the man for the signs and wonders they didn't say why is this man performing miracles because the miracles say he's got all authority <laughs> he's got all um, power why because he's superior he's supreme he's god and the message that he brought was brought was better because it wasn't the, the message of judgment under the law it was the message of salvation through him because jesus is supreme the message of salvation not a judgment romans 3 puts it like this this is romans 319 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law that's us so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable does it sound like the re reliable message for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the reliable message that the angels brought through the law. The law says that. But then Paul says this, verse 21, Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So there's no distinction for all have sinned and all in short of the glory of God. You see the message of the angels there, the reliable message, and you see the message of Christ. Question for us. Are you neglecting that message are you neglecting it because if you neglect it you will not escape the just retribution for sins you will not escape the message of salvation through christ jesus is grace isn't it a free gift received by faith and that's why it says so great uh, salvation you don't have to do anything except accept christ and follow him and repent 
and continue and fight and struggle against sin and against, um, to some extent, the devil. Jesus declared it. It was attested by the apostles. It was also expressed by God through signs and wonders. It is a better message because Jesus is superior to the angels. Are you getting it? You're seeing there's the warning. There's a message that came via the angels. There's this greater message that came through Jesus, attested by the apostles and by God. You with me? You don't sound like you are. <laughs> are you with me? Okay, good on you. Bless you. Okay, well, let's jump to verse one, because that's the meat of this. I want to make sure that none of us here neglect this message. And here's the antidote in it. Verse one, therefore, remember the context of chapter one. Jesus, put simply, Jesus Christ is God. He's not an angel. He's superior to them. Because of that, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. And to me, this is the terrifying part. The warning's terrifying, but here there's a, a admonition to listen or drift. Listen or drift. What does it look like to drift away? That's a point we want to consider, and then I want us to consider the antidote to drifting away. So what does it look like to drift away, to be drifting away? Literally, the Greek word here means floating away. You'd imagine for a moment sitting on the bank of a river and seeing a little log floating downstream. That's what it means, floating past, slipping away. Now, I don't know if any of you have sailboats or any other kind of boat at all. I'm not much of a mariner, but uh, some of you may. But if you don't, just imagine this as a concept. What you'd imagine for a second, you're in your boat and you've had a great day out on the ocean and you decide to moor up um, at the yacht club. And so to do that, you sail up the river and the yacht club's just a little way up the river. And you, I was going to say park, but I understand the word is moor. You moor your boat. They always have these special terms, don't they? Um, at the side of the bank, at the quay with all the other boats. And you do that wonderful thing that um, mariners do. You jump out of the boat with the rope you flip the rope over in this some kind of, I don't know, origami type way around this thing. And suddenly the whole thing is secured tight. It's amazing to watch. And you decide that you're going to sleep on the boat. So you have a cup of tea and your meal. This analogy is getting a bit too detailed. And you sleep on the boat. And at night, the rope loosens. It comes away. You're on the river. What happens? You drift away. That's what it is. You drift away from the connection that you had to the shore, to the safe, firm ground that you needed to be moored to, to stop you drifting away. And it's an analogy for life, isn't it? It's exactly what it is. That's why the writer uses this language of drifting away. The rope can loosen, but the river has a current. It's not hard to float downstream, is it? 
It's hard to swim against the current, but if you're not tied to the shore, you will float downstream, and that Christian life will drift, move away from something, and move towards something else. If we stop paying careful attention to what we have heard. What does that look like? Let's, let's turn that into real things. What does it look like to loosen the rope and drift down the river? Well, I guess in one simple sense, it's about engaging in the world. The flesh, the devil. It's about drifting away from the faithful relationship that we should have with Christ. Perhaps we stop reading the word. Have you ever done that? Taking a break from reading the word? Perhaps our prayer life wanes. Perhaps it doesn't become so honest. Perhaps it becomes less frequent. Perhaps our church attendance wanes. And listen, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You can go to every Bible study there is on offer. You can turn up at every prayer group and say all the right things. You can turn up at church every year for the whole of your life. You can still drift. That's not the evidence of you being a Christian. You can still drift. All that is is attending a Bible study, learning great things, obviously. Hopefully listening to his voice. But you can come to church and miss it. You can miss it in a Bible study and your prayer life might not, to be blunt, be that real. Biggest excuse I hear from people, not to judge anyone, about why they can't attend a Bible study that week is that they're frankly just too busy. Drifting? Well, we get busy. I understand that. Sometimes it isn't possible, but it's not a great excuse. And sometimes the world just seems more satisfying, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Sometimes the Christian life is just hard and it doesn't seem satisfying. We know intellectually it will be in Christ, ultimately. But the world sometimes gratifies us. It seems more attractive to us. Maybe we get too involved in our hobbies. Hobbies aren't bad. Maybe we've got too many of them. I don't have time to come to the Bible study because I'm, I've got too many hobbies. Maybe we just invest too much time and energy in our hobbies. Are they more important to us than Christ? Maybe for some of us, it's work. That's definitely one I've made the mistake about and still do. It becomes more important to me. And so sometimes I don't make it to the prayer night. My dear wife always says, do you think it's more important to do such and such at work than it is to come to the prayer night? That's a hard argument to, to win, right? Maybe work is more important for some of us. Family is more important. Now, that seems terrible. That seems almost heretical to say that, that Christ is more important than family. But the reality is he is, not that we shouldn't have family, be in family, be loving and so on. But is it first? And then, of course, there's sin. We can float down the river by just being attracted to the world more than Christ, but we can also float by down the river by being 
attracted to sin and indulging in sin. And I know we are all sinners. Anyone here not a sinner? Raise your hand. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse. We're still in this old wretched body of sin that loves itself. Loves itself. And get addicted to sin and sometimes we blame sin or we blame god james has a lot to say about that and one of the things he says is but each person is tempted listen to the language when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed that language of dragged away i thought maybe that's the same word as drift away it isn't it's a different word but you get the idea my sin is drawing me away. I'm going out into the current. And so I'm going to drift from Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle, who's the Bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s, had this to say about drifting away. He said, drifting away or backsliding, another word for it, generally begins with the neglect of private prayer. Private prayer can never or should never be a performance. We can get up here and we can preach and we can pray and we can get in the prayer group and we can say all the right things, but private prayer should be different. Private prayer should be honest. Private prayer is the point where you really connect with God in the closet of your, your house, in the room where no one else is. That's what the Lord means about that. When that goes, you start drifting. The Lord Jesus doesn't make mistakes. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, watch and pray to the disciples that you do not fall into temptation. Watch and pray that you don't drift, guys. Don't drift, don't drift away from me and what I've said. Are you praying that you don't drift away? I hope you are. Are you praying that I don't drift away? That's important, isn't it? We pray for one another. There's an important question about drifting that I think we need to ask. Where am I going? Where am I drifting to? And I think the first thing we need to say is, well, that's important, but where are you drifting away from? Or if you're drifting, you're starting somewhere and you're going to somewhere else. So where are you drifting away from? That safe mooring. Is that the church? Could be. Or is it Christ? Is it what he's heard, what he's said, what we've heard? Is it the rock that we just sang about? In Christ, the solid rock I stand. Well, all the other ground is just drifting away, right? <laughs> to just change that song a little. We're drifting away from God, and consequently, we're drifting to somewhere. Where is it that we're drifting to? We're drifting to the place where we neglect such a great salvation where is that that's the place the message that the angels brought that is reliable judgment wrath hell there's no middle ground is there in christianity there's no sitting on the fence you're either for christ or you're against christ 
You're either connected and fighting to stay connected and listening to his words, or you're drifting away. And I know inside this text is the important question. Are those that are backsliding, were they ever Christian? And the answer to that is, where are they going to go? Where do they end up? That's the answer to that. But are we drifting? Are you noticing whether you're drifting? So, there's the warning. There's the reality if we neglect that warning. What's the antidote? And here I just been praying this morning that this would really encourage you. I was reminded by a good friend in the week to remember to encourage us as saints. The antidote to drifting away, the word says, is paying much closer attention, frankly, to Jesus, <laughs> to what we've heard, <laughs> because he's supreme, <laughs> because he's superior. <laughs> so we should be paying much closer attention to what he said, to what he's saying now through his word. I thought about that and thought, well, what do I say? Do I just say the gospel at this point? We should say the gospel, no question of that. But what else should I be saying about what Jesus has said? And someone listened, did a bit of a summary for me. So I thought, how do you summarize Genesis to Revelation in three hours? <laughs> in 10 minutes and five minutes? How do you do that? It's not possible. So we looked at the gospel and said, well, let's try and summarize that. How do you summarize that? Well, let's just consider for a second, by way of encouragement, some of Jesus's words. Some of what he is saying in summary form. And listen to him. Listen to Jesus teaching on who he is. I am. I am. I am, and we did the I am sayings. Do you remember that a few years ago? Listen to him. I'm God. I am the good shepherd. I am the good the real vine, the true vine. I'm the gate, and so on. Listen to him teaching us on what true godliness really is, what genuine faith is, what true worship is. If you do that, you're not going to be drifting, are you? You want to fight you want to be like this listen to him talk again and again and again about the nature of the kingdom of heaven right? all those parables what's he telling us this is what heaven's like listen to him as god talking about his pursuing love for us how he seeks to save the lost think of the sheep that gets that one sheep that gets lost the lost coin Listen to him about the warnings that he gives for us, that we wouldn't fall away, drift away, that there would come persecution, that there would be judgment to the unbeliever. Listen to his promises. His promises don't fail. Why? Because he's supreme. <laughs> Jesus Christ doesn't make a promise and it fails. He's superior to all, not just the angels, to all. 
Listen to him asking you and I to persevere in prayer to what it means to be a genuine believer that's rewarded with eternal life, blessing. Listen to him talk about his steadfast love and mercy, entreating us to come and believe. Listen to the pictures of faith in the gospel, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the Canaanite woman, the Roman centurion. Listen to those things. That's what we've heard, isn't it? We've all read those stories, haven't we? Listen to him as he prophesies about his own treatment, his mistreatment, his rejection, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Listen to him talking about coming again. The end of the age, his triumphant return. Listen to him talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and listen to him talking about salvation and how we receive it. Let's give you a quick verse on that. John 3.16, for God so... Whoever believes in him should not perish, but there it is. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's the great message of salvation, isn't it? Such a great message of salvation. Listen to Jesus. That's the antidote. <laughs> Listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. Think of the transfiguration, you know that story? Matthew 17, I think it is. Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with the Lord Jesus, and there he is transfigured. And I think it says his, his face shines like the sun. It's a radiance of the glory of God, isn't it? And who appears? Moses, the, the one who disperses the law, right? And Elijah, the great prophet. And Peter, you've got to, got to forgive Peter, comes up with a great plan. He says, uh, let's, let's make a tent for each one of you, Lord. And just after he says that, it says that the Father comes in glory and overshadows. The picture of God overshadowing <laughs> the radiance of the glory of his son. And what does he say? You know what he says? This is my Beloved son, in whom I am. Do you know what he says next? Listen to him. Don't drift away. You'll not escape if you neglect such a great salvation. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. And listen, I want you to encourage me with what he says. I'm trying to encourage you with what he says. That's another way of listening to him, isn't it? Friends, I want to just say as we close, I want to ask you to get out of the boat <laughs> and just moor your boat up. Get out of it. Get onto the dry land. Get away from the river. I know we've got to be in the world, but we're asked not to be of the world. The Lord Jesus says that. It's another thing to listen to. I understand that. But are we paddling around in the river, not moored? to Christ, get out of the boat, get out of it, get onto the dry land, climb up on the rock that is our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
beg him for mercy. Draw near, draw near, listen, listen. What's your private prayer like? That's how you climb out of the boat, isn't it? That's, that's got to be the most powerful way to fight against this, along with what the word of God tells us. Please get out of the boat. Pray. Read the word. Repent. And listen to Jesus. Do not neglect such a great salvation. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, Lord, uh, what can we say but please help us to get out of the boat. Please, Lord, help us to truly listen to Jesus, not just now and again, but every day. Father, we can't exist without your word, without Jesus talking to us. We can't survive. We certainly stand here, Lord, sit here, and we don't want to neglect such a great salvation. We will have no excuse. Help us, Lord, if we come to church and yet are somehow wading around in the river that's dragging us away, enticed by our own desires. Help us, Lord, if we somehow value the world and all that's in it more than we value you. Help us, dear Lord, to listen to Jesus and to share his words, a great message of salvation with all that we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.